MSW Media. Donald Trump pays only $750 a year in income taxes, but he claims that he pays millions. What can we do about it? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name's Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, the host of The Patty Vasquez Show, who joins us regularly on this podcast. But before I join Patty, I want to thank our patrons who brought us this episode. With special thanks to Michelle Dew, Andrew Donnelly, James Frohmeyer, Jay Gelhausen, Jamie and Izzy Gordon, Patrick, Steve Hungsberg, Ari Lamstein, Shana Wachinski, and an anonymous patron. You too can become a patron on our website, ontopicpodcast.com. Just click the support link at the top of the page. So, Patty, I have to say it's insane that we found out this news that literally the president of the United States is not paying much of anything in taxes, is engaging in all sorts of shady practices that are causing a lot of people to think that he's cheating on his taxes, that maybe he's committed a crime. And that's like a two to three day story before we have a complete dumpster fire of a presidential debate. Now, of course, during the debate, he says, I pay millions in income taxes. So the, the, the whole issue is front and center. But it really amazes me how quickly things are changing here in 2020. No doubt. And it's also amazing those who are clinging to their allegiance, really, is the only way I can think of it, to the president and their ideals. It, it changes every every few minutes as far as like, well, no, uh, look, Biden didn't pay $500,000 in taxes and he's so smart and that's why he gets away with it and blame the tax code and it's Biden's fault. And then, oh, no, he does pay millions. And so, you know, the goalposts aren't even just moving they're on wheels, man. I don't know what to do anymore when it comes to even having any logical discussion, which I really don't think I can do anymore, having any rational discussions with people who are so adamant that this guy is a good person or a good businessman or is trustworthy or, and not racist. And, and the list goes on and on. Yeah, I have to say that New York Times report, I was literally at my computer when it was released, I was blown away, immediately started tweeting about it and writing about it and jumping on TV to talk about it. And I I was like, this has got to be the most remarkable piece of reporting. I mean, here they blow the lid off of so much about Trump. I mean, they, they blow the, you know, they make it clear that his businesses have been failing, that he's relying a lot on, frankly, kind of the corrupt use of his office to stay afloat, that he's got tons of loans that are coming due in the second term that a lender may be foreclosing on, sort of he's desperate to potentially deal with the liquidity problems that he'll have. And in the meantime, you know, of course, he has been fighting hard to keep not only uh, state prosecutors, the Manhattan DA's office, uh, local prosecutors, 
from getting their hands on the tax returns, but also Congress and the American people. And yesterday, because uh, we're recording this the day after the first debate, he lied to the American people when he was pressed on his income taxes. He says he's paying millions, but refuses to release even a single page of his tax returns, which would prove it. Yeah, I mean, again, it goes to if, if there's nothing wrong here, then what are you hiding? Uh, it, it is uh, just all complete madness. And I have to tell you, I have a lot of friends who are performers. A lot of us are independent contractors. And we sweat every single year. I think this is what really comes down to is the unjust part of this that people have worked really hard, you know, have, uh, have to worry every time they, you know, they sign on that line that says, you know, I've answered everything truthfully to the best of my knowledge. And now every, a lot of people are like, why do I have to bother if the president is only paying $750? And yes. And then on top of that, the offshore accounts. And that's the thing that I don't think people, when they talk about taxing the wealthy, and we in Illinois, we're talking about the fair tax and the language is very complicated. But, you know, a lot of these people can also earn money in pass, with passive accounts. They continue to accrue money. And so the idea that, you know, we well, we have to give him money and lines of credit or he has to borrow money because he's, you know, taking a risk and, you know, you have to encourage businessmen like him. What Encourage him to what? Continue to rob us? I don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I think that a bigger question and a bigger issue here, which bears some discussion, is I think, you know, some people are tempted to say, and I don't think it's right in this circumstance, but some people are tempted to say that the real scandal here is what's legal about the tax code. And just to be clear, I think the tax code is very much slanted towards uh, people who are in the top 1%, uh, you know, the uber rich people like, well, like Trump appears to be at least. Um, but, you know, that that is beyond that is not exactly what's happening here, because as The New York Times pointed out, most really rich people pay a lot more taxes than this guy. So it really appears to be something unlawful. And the question is, is it just merely that he's claiming deductions he's not entitled to like, you know, Okay, he's claiming that his haircut is a business expense and he's being honest about what he's what the amount is. Uh, he just spends 70K on haircuts, but, you know, he's claiming it. Or is some of this like an outright fraud, a tax fraud? In other words, like, for example, you're 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 signing a deal for a hotel in another country and you put down the 20% of the total sales price is going to Ivanka Trump for consulting. Uh, if she's not actually consulting that, that sounds like a lot like fraud to me. I, I don't know. So I think there's, there's a lot here that meets the eye. And of course, because it's 2020 and because it's Donald Trump, it just gets thrown into the soup of things because the guy constantly finds a new way to outrage us. I mean, last night it was, you know, the fact that he couldn't even uh, condemn white supremacists. Right. I mean, what do you I mean, what do you make of that? Uh, it was so shocking. And, you know, they had T-shirts made. They had a logo made up within moments after he, yeah. he made that statement. He has you know, he has said and he continues to drive that narrative of, well, because basically saying, well, you know, uh, I've got to speak out against the radical liberals who are violent rather than speaking out against racism, denouncing 
white supremacist groups and base and when you say stand down are you why why should, why are you like talking to them as though you're giving them orders and so whether he meant stand back or stand down or stand by or because the next one is step up is what he's going to tell them next yeah and i i i have to say it is really bizarre right i mean you could imagine in any other circumstance if whatever you know if you're trying to get uh Somebody to, you know, promise me, you know, will you, will you, you know, will you, uh, will you, you know, promise me that that you're going to do something? And he's, you know, sure, I'm willing to do that. Okay, well, then do it. Well, you know, and like you can't quite say the words. Uh, I got to say, you know, really what it seemed like to me um, is that I think he's, he's figured out that these people are vaguely helpful to him. I think he thinks that he, by nodding and winking to the, uh, racist in our society it's helped him he did he's done that so many times uh towards so many different groups right everything from latinos um muslim americans and so forth that i think he he's trying to pull out every stop because he sounded to me like a, a desperate man uh like somebody who's who knows that he very well may lose this thing and that's what it's seeming uh to me when i get I get folks that are coming out of nowhere. I haven't had arguments about Trump on my Facebook page. And all of a sudden, you know, people are trying to poke me like, well, here, how about this? And I hadn't even posted anything about Trump and his taxes. And all of a sudden, like someone wants to come after me because I think they're feeling desperate. They want to engage. They want to make somebody else feel the pain, I guess, of their fear. Um, And I'm not here for it. Yeah. Uh, You know, I have to say it's been very interesting. I spend quite a bit of time. I follow people on the right and I engage with them uh, basically just to understand what the hell they're they're talking about because they live in essentially a parallel universe, okay, where they're very focused on, you know, what is John Durham going to do or, you know, um, whatever, um, you know, the, 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 the w- things that don't – that seem to be at the periphery of what's really uh, at stake in this election – and I'll, there are some of these people who are like, man, you know, Trump just misspoke. He, you know, he meant to say stand, you know, stand down, but he really just said stand by because he, he it was a slip of tongue. And how unfortunate, you know, they essentially give this guy every benefit of the doubt in which they talk about him. And I have to believe there's some level of disingenuousness involved there. I, I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> just a little bit, I would think. Yeah. So I have to say, Patty, you know, the, the, you know, this podcast today, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about Trump's taxes. We obviously have a fantastic guest to discuss that topic with. But I think a sub kind of a subplot in this whole thing, and I think is going to be interesting to discuss is sort of, well, what, what can we do about it from here? What, what is, you know, it seems to me that this is too big of a problem to ignore. And I think... If he's president, there's a set of problems. If he's not, pre- if he leaves office, you know, gets thrown out of office, there's a whole other set of problems. But it seems to me like given who the attorney general is and, you know, his complete obstruction, that the real challenge is going to be, you know, assuming that Trump won't reveal a damn thing unless it's, you know, it's pried out of his cold, dead hands, so to speak. Um, what, what are we going to be, what are we going to do about the problem that, you know, that we have in terms of a totally compromised, desperate 
president. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of work to do. Wow. Yeah, we've bitten off a very easy topic for today. Um, and so uh, to tackle this uh, challenging topic, uh, I'm now going to bring in uh, Barb McQuaid, who many of you know because she's on MSNBC all the time. And in fact, I, I think I was on MSNBC right before or after her discussing this, this story as soon as it broke. She's on all the time, every day, if you watch MSNBC as a legal analyst. And she's also a professor um, and teaches at University of Michigan Law School. But before that, she was the United States attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, which is actually one of the biggest, uh, bigger uh, federal uh, uh, districts because it encompasses the city of Detroit. So she has a lot of experience managing and investigating white collar crime and has been a fantastic guest and discusser uh, with, uh, with us in the past. So let's bring in Barb McQuaid. Welcome back, Barb. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, you bet, Renato. My delight to to join you anytime. Well, you know, I have to say, Barb, uh, you know, th- this this story was absolutely shocking. I, um, re- you know, I was on my computer on on Sunday, and I saw this pop up, and it was unbelievable to read. I would have thought that the news cycle would have lasted more than a few days, although we heard. Um, Trump, you know, deny, I think one of the core, probably the most important or most certainly most eye-catching thing from the New York Times report, which is that he only paid $750 a year in income taxes for two years in 2016, 2017. He claims he's paying millions in federal income taxes, which uh, I find hard to believe, uh, given that he won't release his tax returns. I'm wondering... Uh, what what jumped out to you as the most important uh, piece of the New York Times story? What did you think uh, was the was the headline to you? Well, I guess I, I tend to look at these things from a national security perspective. And so to me, the fact that he is something like four hundred and twenty one million dollars in debt is of great concern to me. I want to know who he is in debt to. Um, and I think the mere fact that he owes that much money um, makes him uh, a, a national security risk. I'm sure, Renato, when you were in government, you, you got your security clearance. You know all those questions that they ask people. When I was the U.S. attorney, I frequently got asked questions about people whose clearances were either being applied for or renewed. And one of the real uh, areas of concern was uh, financial debt. Uh, you know, if somebody was unable to pay their credit card bills, that was a big deal. Certainly bankruptcy was a deal breaker. Um, You know, it's unimaginable that someone would have this massive amount of debt. And the reason it's problematic is that it makes a person susceptible to blackmail or bribery when they are in that much of, of a debt. And so for an ordinary government employee, it's concerning because they have access to sensitive or classified information. For the president, who has access to the very most sensitive information in our government, to be so massively in debt is a real serious risk. And then I also wonder to whom he owes this money. There has been you know, reporting over the years that he borrowed money from Russians or Deutsche Bank, foreign banks. Uh, if he's owed it to foreign creditors, it's another worry that uh, he has an incentive to uh, be beholden to foreign governments. There's also information in the story that he obtained favorable tax uh, licensing agreements from governments in foreign countries like India and Turkey, and that he might have an incentive to curry favor with those governments. So 
I worry about it from a national security perspective. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It also seemed from the article that he was becoming reliant, increasingly reliant on, in some ways, the ancillary benefits, financial benefits of being in office, that he was actually indirectly making a lot of money from the office of the presidency. And given that he has these liabilities, some of which are going to become due in the second term if he got reelected, um, you know, it, it really, I think, cuts to the heart of showing a potential motive for corrupt activity. Yeah. And as you all know, the Constitution talks about prohibiting the president from expe- accepting emoluments, which is really just anything of value either from a foreign government or from anybody else, because the framers of the Constitution were very concerned about this idea that a president could become compromised and have some incentive to do things not in the best interest of the nation, but in his own financial self-interest. And so you're absolutely right. He's got all these conflicts of interest, and he's using his businesses uh, while he's in office as profit centers from his hotels and his golf courses. Uh, it's It's a real problem. Um, even more, I think, than we had anticipated before seeing this data. Yeah, I think that's right. And I th- so I think, you know, one thing that I think everyone would benefit from is looking at this whole report and seeing sort of the different layers of problems. Because it seems to me it raises a whole slew of issues. One uh, layer I think you've just identified, sort of the potential national security uh, concerns obviously, you know, kind of rolls right into these potential concerns about an incentive for corruption. Um, but I think there's also, I think, a lot of people have questions about what it, what legally does this mean? And it seems to me that it's it's useful for people to understand a distinction between, for example, underpaying your taxes, which can be a problem. And anyone who's underpaid their taxes, if the IRS finds out, you end up paying penalties and interest and so forth. And a potential crime, which is what obviously I think a lot of people are jumping to that conclusion. I will say that there are some things in here to me, and I'd be curious what your perspective is, Barb, but there's some things in here to me that on their face don't establish that the crime was committed but certainly are worthy of further investigation. And, and one that comes to mind to me is the, the I, this giving Ivanka a percentage of certain deals. In other words, that he would have a hotel deal for an overseas hotel and 20% of it would go to an entity controlled by Ivanka for, quote, consulting. I mean, if she yeah. wasn't actually consulting or doing anything, any actual work for that, that would seem to me like tax fraud because he's undervaluing the, you know, the size of that deal uh, and portraying 20 percent of it as a business cost. Yeah. And um, you're right. I agree with you that on its face, maybe some of these things require further investigation. You know, when you were a prosecutor, you probably did the same thing I did, which was whenever you were investigating any kind of a white collar case or a tax case, One of the first things you would do was to get what's known as an I order, named after the statute. It's uh, Title 26 of the U.S. Code 6103I. It's got a bunch of subparagraphs. And I says that a prosecutor can get a hold of tax return information if it is uh, relevant to an authorized investigation. And so um, one of the first things you do in any kind of case like that is get that information because it can be so helpful. It doesn't usually begin and end the investigation. But you can use that and compare it to other documents to try to determine whether there is tax fraud there or just to see the 
the uh, streams of revenue coming in and going out, the debt, all those things can be very useful. But as you say, there are a few things that kind of on their face raise red flags that you can find when you're looking for tax fraud. And one of those things is finding ways to dissipate profits by calling them business expenses. So salaries to family members is often uh, a red flag that you're paying off all your kids and your wife, your spouse, and saying that they're all performing these services because that can eat into your profits. And then at the end of the day, oh, look, lo and behold, my profits are only a very modest amount. And that's the only thing I have to pay taxes on. Or in fact, I lost money in the year. And so I don't have any taxes at all. But it's those uh, those fake salaries that can be problematic. And here, perhaps, you know, consulting fees to a, a family member, I think, is something that jumps out as potential fraud. Not necessarily. It could be that he paid her consulting fees. It could be that he paid salaries to these people. But overpaying for these things is a common tactic as a way to minimize profits and thereby minimize one's tax bill. That's right. And so I view that differently than, for example, listing a deduction, you know, listing an expense that that is on its face accurate that should not be deducted. In other words, truthfully saying, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious how you would put this category, what category you'd put this in, uh, Barb. You know, I, I spent the X amount of dollars, 70 grand on haircuts. Let's just assume he actually did <laughs> for the sake of argument, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. If he, if he paid a dollar, he overpaid for that haircut. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But, but let's say he did pay 70 grand. I don't know. Uh, so, you know, it's a guy who likes gold plated everything. So uh, he got he paid seventy k for the haircut, and he claims it as a business expense. Now that would be improper. It would let's just say somebody reviewed it. If there was an audit, it would you know get you know he thrown out. He'd owe taxes, maybe he'd owe interest, penalties, whatever it may be. But that wouldn't seem to me to be the basis of a criminal violation because he was being truthful in the tax form of what he was trying to do. Yeah, um, tax is one of the few areas that requires uh, willfulness as an element of the offense. You know, most of the time you hear that old phrase, as you know, Renato, that ignorance of the law is no excuse. And so even if you got it wrong, um, you're still guilty of a crime if you knowingly did what the law prohibits. But tax, like some other areas, campaign finance laws, another of highly regulated area where it's very complicated, then it's only criminal if you did it willfully. Like, I know what the law is. And I violated it anyway because I wanted to, you know, um, there still though, could be uh, civil penalties involved. And so I don't know what the rules are with regard to expensive haircuts and how much you're allowed to deduct. You still have to have the receipts. You still have to show that you did this thing. Um, there may be penalties involved. There may be back taxes to be paid. That all gets handled in, in a civil manner administratively. And that happens all the time. The uh, IRS conduct a lot of things where they just disagree with you about allowances and deductions that you've taken. To show criminal behavior, you have to show that the person did this willfully. And so that's where these concealing things can be evidence of consciousness of guilt, like calling what you paid to Ivanka consulting fees, if you all know that it wasn't consulting fees at all, and it was just an effort to move money from one pocket to another. Uh, It's all in the family, so I'm going to move this money around and thereby reduce my tax bill. That could be 
a, a willfulness violation. That, that's a good way of putting it, and that's an important concept to introduce. Uh, because as you, as you pointed out, Barb, our other areas of our criminal law are not like this. This is an exception, this, this willfulness requirement. And I think, you know, part of the reasoning there um, may very well be that, you know, most citizens don't know what's in the tax code. And sure. we're not we don't want to prosecute people who make a mistake. And I think, you know, the, having the false statement like that certainly goes to willfulness because, you know, if you just wanted to give her money, you just give her money. Uh, and you would say that you're just giving her money. Uh, the fact that you're pretending that she's a consultant, uh, you know, is on its face uh, fraudulent. So I think it goes to that. So I think it's helpful for people to understand because I've saw, seen a lot of talk about him cheating at his taxes. And I think there are different there are different uh, layers of that here, all of which are bad. But it does seem to me, Barb, you know, a lot of people have been talking about how this reveals that what's legal about our tax code is is uh, is uh, awful. In other words, that the true scandal here is that you a rich person can can do this or can get away with doing this. And I have to say, I do think that is both true in a broader sense, but overstated here. In other words, I do think our tax code is slanted to favor the ultra wealthy in certain ways. Our, our system is uh, after a lot of recent tax cuts, in part by Trump. But um, here, I think he was paying far below. I think the New York Times said he's paying far below what other rich people do. And some of what he's doing here appears to be, it, at, at the very least, highly questionable on its face. Yeah, well, even his uh, his famous audit, which has been going on now for more than four years, I don't know how many years, you know, he always says when asked if he'll produce his tax returns the way every president since President Nixon has done to the public so that the public can see what are your sources of revenue and who do you owe money to and how much and how much taxes do you pay. Um, he has always said that, well, I can't produce them because I'm under audit, but just as soon as that audit ends, I will disclose them. Well, the audit's been going on for over four years, and that's true. But a couple of things about it. One, um, we've learned that what's being audited is a $70,000 uh, tax return that appears to be very questionable. And the IRS has been looking into that to determine whether that was properly taken. And so I think you know, that fact alone is of interest to the public. But the other thing is, just because you're under audit doesn't mean you can't disclose it to the public. Um, you know, both, both those things can be true. Yes, I am under audit, uh, and I, I should be disclosing this tax return to the public so that members of the public can see what's there. So uh, I think he's used that as a convenient excuse for all these years because he knew how bad it would look if the public saw this and saw that he was paying. Uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't actually seen the documents. We've only seen the New York Times reporting of it. But as they have reported, if it's true, that he paid zero in taxes in 10 of the last 15 years and only $750 in the last year. If, as he says, he's paid millions, well, let's see it. Yeah, I mean, all he'd have to do is is actually produce a portion of one page, right? Uh, and I think that would be enough to establish if he if he really if it's really uh, not the case. But I, you know, I think it speaks volumes that he's not doing that. You know, I have to say one other thing that it raises for me, Barb. Question it raises for me is it how is the IRS treating him given that he's the president of the United States and effectively uh, commands the IRS in a broader sense because he's the head of the executive branch and the IRS is part of the executive branch. In other words, 
How do the American people have confidence that the IRS isn't giving him special treatment or delaying this unnecessarily at his request or behest? Yeah, I, I think you raise a good point there, Renato, especially with regard to delay. I mean, even if they say, well, we're not going to give him any special treatment, even if they're delaying it, they are giving him special treatment. Uh, you know, Steve Mnuchin, who is the head of uh, the Secretary of Treasury, has taken positions that are very, very favorable to President Trump, refusing to produce tax returns to Congress when they requested it under that same statute I mentioned earlier. Congress has a right to uh, tax returns as well, and he refused to produce them. Uh, to Congress because he was protecting the interest of the president, whether that was a uh, legitimate uh, protection or whether that was currying favor with the president who appointed him uh, is not clear to me. But even if they're just delaying it, you know, there's this concept about um, a sitting president cannot be criminally charged. Is that what's going on here? And is that how they're justifying uh, not uh, proceeding with this audit? Um, uh, The delay on a tax bill of uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, if that's what's at play here, can itself be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So um, I, I, I do agree with you that I think there's good reason to be suspicious that perhaps he is getting favorable treatment. Now, he says he's treated very, very badly by uh, the IRS. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think you're correct to perceive that there are incentives in place to treat him favorably, even if the rank and file want to follow the rules. Um, leadership appointed by this president brings with it an inherent conflict of interest. Yeah, I I represent uh, clients who have tax issues. Um, is part of I have a broad practice, I, I, but I represent people all sorts of uh, issues that they may have with the government or just in litigation. And uh, they, I mean, the, the government is pressing forward in the middle of a pandemic in these tax cases. I mean, it's not like there's any. <laughs> Let up. I, I, I would love, uh, for, you know, I'm sure my clients would love if I could just press a button and have these things last for four plus years uh, before they're resolved. Right. But that's not not happening in our cases. So I wonder, you know, what's going on over there? Obviously, these cases are is presumably complicated, but um, nonetheless, very, uh, very bizarre. You know, what I think this brings me me to, I'd say, is sort of a broader point here, which is. You know, obviously, the, the the you know this there's because there are things here that are at least worthy of investigation. In a different world, you might imagine a special counsel being appointed to look at this matter and just to make sure that the American people could have some confidence that their president isn't a tax cheat. Um, but that's not going to happen here. Con- and then Congress has been trying to get it, the whole of Trump's tax returns for various reasons. And they still haven't gotten their hands on them. And so I wonder, you know, what can be done to hold Trump accountable here or at least to find out the truth for the American people? I think President Trump has used this strategy of of stall tactics so that he can win by losing. You know, he files all kinds of very aggressive legal challenges. Uh, the, The case that ultimately went to the Supreme Court when he resisted producing uh, when he sought, you know, he filed a lawsuit to resist responding to subpoenas issued by Congress. Um, even though he loses in all those cases, he manages to delay. And now that those are back in the lower courts, he's just bringing different challenges um, and he's trying to run out the clock. And so if he can avoid producing those before the election, I think he will consider that a victory. I think ultimately those entities will end up getting a hold of his tax returns, but it could be a long time. And so I think he might have effectively 
dodged a lot of problems by just stalling until after the election. But ultimately, I think that uh, Congress will get their hands on them. I think that Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance will get his hands on them. And I think at that point, he could be in some serious trouble. Now, it may be that he's able to stall long enough to run the statute of limitations. But I think what is going on in Cy Vance's case is, again, the tax returns alone may not support criminal charges. But when he combines a review of those tax returns along with his bank records, which he is also seeking, financial records, he can use them to compare and see if there is fraud. Uh, it has been reported that Cy Vance is investigating bank fraud, wire fraud, insurance fraud, and tax fraud. And so, as Michael Cohen has testified before Congress, if it's true what he said, that President Trump uh, inflates his revenues for purposes of obtaining loans for, you know, when he buys these big properties, real estate deals, or his attempt to buy the Buffalo Bills, um, and he under he undervalues his revenues for purposes of his taxes, um, those are going to show up when you compare those documents. Because um, if, if you're putting different numbers in the tax returns from the numbers you're putting in your bank loan loan applications, then at least one of those is fraudulent. And so looking at the books of the Trump organization will help them to, to determine which, if any, whether it's tax fraud or bank fraud, um, those documents are going to tell the truth there. And so I think the day may come when the truth will catch up to him. The only question is whether he can stall long enough to run out the statute of limitations. Yeah, that is. And that is a genuine concern here. I will say that's you raise an excellent point, Barb, because all of these numbers really have to line up. And he also has a financial disclosure form. That he's filed, that he is uh, filed as president, and that's signed under penalty of perjury as well. I mean, that would be another mm. potential yeah, false statement. Mm -hmm. And it does appear, I, I at least Walt Schaub appears convinced that there is a discrepancy between what the New York Times is reporting and what's in the financial disclosure form. So there's a lot there. I know we do have mm. some questions from our listeners. Patty, uh, do you do you have any questions, Andy? Well, you know, look, people want to be equipped for having these arguments either with their family members or online on social media. And obviously, Trump's biggest fans are blaming the tax code. And he alluded to that many times, it, even in the last election, when he said, well, you know, because I'm smart, I know how to get away with this or, or yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, he, basically telling yep. him, telling us that the rest of us are stupid. So how how do we help them see the difference <laughs> between taking advantage of a law and committing fraud? And I mean, I, I, I honestly I don't know how we convince anyone of anything, but this is more of, I, I think, just <laughs> understanding this and how to make them understand that indebtedness is a huge national security risk. They just don't get it. Seriously incredible from one of our listeners. Yeah, it's a good point. And I do think that there is a segment of Trump supporters uh, for whom uh, he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and their opinion of him would never change. They are uh, loyal to him. Uh, they are part of the tribe and they don't care what facts there are to demonstrate his unfitness for office. But I do think that there is a segment of the population who is persuadable, a segment of the population that cares about having a president who um, is fit for office and who will be offended, you know, who pay taxes. Uh, and although they understand that there are um, sophisticated and legal ways to reduce one's tax bill that is fair game for anyone to take advantage of, uh, that President Trump uh, may be, and I think we need further information about this, uh, abusing those rules and not just being smart, but, um, but cheating on the rules, the same rules that the rest of us play by. We understand that taxes are an important part of being an American. You know, we we do all we can to reduce our tax bill. But at the end of the day, 
we pay it because we care about funding the military and funding our roads and funding our bridges and all of the things, healthcare, all of the things that are required to make sure uh, that our nation can afford its bills. And so the idea that the president, who is a self-proclaimed billionaire, isn't paying anything into that, I think is offensive uh, and I think will offend people who are people who want to follow the rules and do the right thing. Yeah, I do think that one benefit here, Barb, is that this story really has some headlines that are make the whole story easy to encapsulate. I think the seven hundred and fifty dollar uh, uh, number is really something. Uh, I think that the I think you don't need to be a lawyer or anyone with any sort of fancy training to know that yep. there's something weird about that, right? There's something bizarre um, about what he's doing. Can I say something about that? Just because, I mean, wouldn't it be smarter for his accountants or him to, you know, try to find ways to be less conspicuous? I, I, I mean, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. No kidding. There's a lot of hubris. Anyway. Yeah, I actually wrote, <laughs> yeah. I tweeted about that at the time, like how there's this, just the sheer audacity of it all. In other words, I could see trying to get away with tax stuff before you get in office, but you're the president of the United States and you know that the stuff's going to get scrutinized and you're still, you know, cooking your taxes to the point where you are not paying more than $750 a year in the first year of your presidency. It's hard to believe. It's just so uh, audacious. Yeah. You know, that does seem to be, that does seem to be part of Trump's MO, right? Like (laughs) if you say it out loud and in plain sight, it can't be illegal. Um, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm no scholar, but I've you know read a little bit about uh, the propaganda that was uh, perpetuated by Hitler. And a big part of that was make the lie big. If the lie is big enough, people won't even imagine that it's a lie because who would be so audacious? Uh, and so part of propaganda is, is pushing lies that are so big that people believe it has to be true. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. very insightful. Patty, you had another question. Uh, from, a, yes. from a listener. Yes. Uh, well, here's one. And I, I have two more, I think. Uh, how would Trump have been allowed to get away with this for so many years? Is there perhaps a corrupt IRS agent or? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to think no. And it sounds like he has been you know, under audit for some years now. And so uh, it may be his own um, uh, uh, persistence in defending himself that is allowing him to uh, to continue. I don't know, Renato, if you've represented some defendants in tax cases maybe you know well I, one thing i would just say to everybody and maybe this is like a, a sad thing for me to tell everyone is you know the <laughs> uh, the tax laws are not enforced um as much as you might think in other words sure there are people who are audited sure there are tax cases that come up and you know those people uh sometimes even hire lawyers like me but the percentage of people who actually get audited is small. The percentage of people who uh-huh. um, have cases brought against them is small. It's sort of like speeding. I mean, certainly there's a lot of people who are speeding um, who don't get pulled over, right? I mean, certainly it doesn't mean that the cops aren't enforcing that and we see people pulled over every day, but there's just so many people and there's only, you know, that are doing that and so only so many cops. So I think one thing is just, it could be easy to to get away with these things because um, I think a lot of a lot of times it's just you happen not to get caught. And I think that there are people who take risks that they shouldn't be taking in terms of their tax liability because 
they figure that they won't get caught and then maybe they do. But I think that's responsible for part of it. And I think another uh, another uh, piece of this is I think that it is often the case that no matter how big the potential liability is, that you can ultimately just resolve it by paying money. And so unless it becomes a criminal matter, if you don't, if you think there's a small chance of detection, even if you end up paying penalties and interest, it can be a rational choice to take some chances. And so I think that's what's going on here is that, you know, Trump, you know, knew that there's a good chance he wouldn't get caught. I think most entities individuals, businesses understand that there's some shades of gray and they prefer to be on the side of the shades of gray that would certainly keep them out of any criminal jeopardy and at least keep them out of very serious civil jeopardy. But Trump, I think, has a higher tolerance for risk than a lot of people. And he took more risks. And so far, he hasn't paid the price. Well, that's an interesting insight about his risk tolerance. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I think one of the things this discloses is how his entire business empire is really a house of cards that he uh, owes, you know, more than he he makes, um, and that in his in past years, in the past 10, 15 years or so, what he's really been selling is his name, his fame. He's been, you know, he played this successful businessman on TV on The Apprentice, and he's been selling that in, in terms of Trump University and Trump Stakes and uh, Trump Airlines and Trump Casino and all of these kinds of things. When in fact, there's no there there. And that's because he's willing to go deeply into debt to take on a lot of financial risk. And that may also suggest a person who um, is willing to risk uh, violation of the tax laws, taking very aggressive stands. Uh, Most of us, uh, I like to think I obey the law because it's the right thing to do. And I'm a good citizen. and I'm a good American. I want to pay my bills. But another reason most of us comply with the law is we don't want to get caught. We don't want to go to prison. We don't want to pay fines. We don't want the shame and humiliation of committing a crime. But if you have far more risk tolerance than most of us, then maybe you take some really aggressive uh, moves when it comes to paying your taxes. Yeah. I think that really explains a lot of this. Um, But it's, uh, it's understandable. I think that one thing that You know, look, over the last few years, you know, my life has changed just by talking publicly with a lot of people about the law. I know yours uh, has as well, Barb. One thing I've noticed is that I think because of TV shows, maybe like Law and Order, that people have this sense that when people do wrong things or bad things that within 37 minutes or however long uh, those episodes are, uh, somebody finds them, they get prosecuted and they go to prison. And the fact of the matter is, uh, I would say, is that a lot of crime gets undetected. A lot of, uh, and then there's, yep. and then how crime gets punished, you know, a lot of times there's this, you know, we talked about even with Trump's thing. Some of this is civil, some of this is criminal. You're not always able to make out a criminal case. It's often the case that you'll see very large civil settlements. And so, as a result, um, the, the way that the, the, the justice system works and our legal system works is slower and more complicated and has more shades of gray uh, than what the average person expects. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think that's right. So, you know, Barb, I, I have to say the Times has made it clear that there are more shoes yet to drop here. 
So it'll be interesting to see exactly what this is. Maybe before every debate, we're going to get a new New York Times story because this one did seem <laughs> very carefully timed. But I, one thing I I am curious about um, here is, you know, what do you make of the family members? You know, there's you know the Ivankas, and and what I guess you know it's one thing for. Trump to take all these risks for for himself, but somebody who's much younger who doesn't need to take those kind of risks. I mean, Ivanka is married to a, a a very wealthy man. Why? Any thoughts on why Ivanka would take the the risk that she is at being in the the center of all of this? Well, I guess number one, we don't know how much she knows. Uh, Trump could claim her mm-hmm. uh, for this purpose, and she may not know that she's being used for this purpose. Although it seems likely that she received these consulting fees. Um, I, I imagine that her defense, if she were to be asked, would be something like, hey, my dad's a successful business person. I rely on him to make sure our financial affairs are in order. And if he asks me to do something, I do it because I know that he would not put me in harm's way. Um, I, mm-hmm. I imagine the defense would be something like that. And it may be genuine. It may be that she trusts him because he's her dad. It may be that she knows uh, this is a family conspiracy and we're all a bunch of crooks. Um, I don't know, but um, I can imagine, you know, I think most people, when I uh, was prosecuting white-collar crime cases, and and I'm sure you've been involved in these too, Renato, I find that people are very capable of telling themselves lies to justify what they do, Mm -hmm. because no one wants to think of themselves as a criminal. And so they say things like, well, I'm just being very aggressive in the way I use the tax code, and that's what the tax code's for, and this is the kind of tax planning I should be doing, or... I pay an awful lot in taxes, and so it's only fair that I take this deduction. Um, I I imagine there are a lot of things that people tell themselves to justify their conduct. So I don't know what it is with regard to Ivanka, but I imagine it is either she truly believes that uh, her father is doing these things lawfully, or um, she's allowing uh, herself to justify it uh, in, in some way by some lie that she's telling herself. Yeah, I think there's this that saying that everyone's the hero in their own story, and I think that that's yeah. that is true. I think there are certain people who are kind of hardcore fraudsters who buy their own BS. I mean, they they will they lie like crazy, and they will just they believe their own lies. And I don't know if Trump fits in that category or not, but I certainly have prosecuted people like that. But most people, it's definitely more of a shade of gray where they justify a particular uh-huh. practice. And they convince themselves that that's totally okay and totally fine. And there's definitely a certain psychology to it. Uh, and I've been on both sides of that. I was a prosecutor for a long time, for whatever, nine plus years, and been doing this for several years since. And it is definitely, um, it, there's definitely something to the human brain uh, that perhaps helps us understand also why we, why it is that people defend the indefensible every day. I mean, in other words, we just had yesterday um, this debate and you heard people afterwards claiming, for example, that Trump did denounce white supremacy or uh, whatever. In other words, that we shouldn't believe our own eyes and ears or defending things that were just sort of indefensible. And I think there's definitely a rationalization that goes on when it is in your own interest, uh, whether it's personally or some other heartfelt thing, to yourself that you, you can sometimes uh, convince yourself of, of something that isn't true. Yeah, and I think that's where I, I find Trumpism to be very dangerous, because I think one of his goals is 
to disrupt all processes, to suggest that there is no truth, um, that none of it matters, and therefore the ends justify the means. And so you should uh, you know, vote for him because um, he's in the end for your interest, whether it's who he puts on the Supreme Court or uh, which group is up and which group is down. Um, and I think that that is just not the kind of uh, idealism that this country was based on. Yeah, it is very close to, you know, you were mentioning that you were reading about authoritarians. It's very close to that playbook. And that's it's this idea of attacking truth. I mean, also the free press, of course, is, is very mm-hmm. much a check on power and our freedom of speech and attacking those institutions makes it so that there's a lot of people, uh, some of my relatives and associates included, who believe that the only the only truth that they believe comes from Trump's lips. Just scary thing. Well, Barb, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. It's been uh, just um, amazing as always. Uh, I wish that we did, could talk about happier topics, but I, I hope that that will come sometime uh, in 2021. <laughs> Yes, very good. Well, we're we're Thank still you. surviving. We're still here. We're still talking about the truth, so it's all good. So thanks for the opportunity, Renato. Thank you, Patty. Great Thank to you. meet you again. Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. On topic.